five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, you've got to be feeling pretty good, man. Not only did you get uh, a third Saturday in October victory, you also got a Braves victory, which is sending them to the World Series. So just how good of a weekend was it for you? Uh, Half of it was awesome. I'm not sure Sunday was because when we had a full football day, uh, which involves a, a few beers for me. I'll be honest. It involves a few beers for me, not a crazy amount. And of course I don't, I don't drink at the games. So, uh, you know, I was fine. Uh, but of course there was an all day beer thing for football on Saturday, but I dashed, uh, back to the condo to see the end of the Braves and watch those last two or three innings as soon as the Alabama game was over. And then, then that involved uh, a, a whole bottle of champagne. I wanted the champagne along with with the dudes on the team, you know, right? So I'd, I do the champagne thing if once you clinch, and then that was like a whole bottle of that. So Sunday, uh, uh, Sunday, I took it slow. I took it easy. Took it easy on Sunday. So uh, Saturday was incredible. Sunday had to take it a little easy. And um, Nick Saban. It's funny. I was on my way back from the game. And I've been listening to a lot of Nick Saban's post-game press conferences on YouTube. They end up putting them up there. And I hop on YouTube all the time, you know, because it's very, you know, when I'm at home and I'm by myself and, and Alabama has a press conference, they won't allow you to, like, screen record or anything like that. So I'll set my phone next to my, you know, my laptop. I have my desktop and my laptop. I'll have the the interview uh, or the uh press conference going on the computer i'll set my phone next to it and record it that way and that way i can go back and listen to the quotes and transcribe and do what i need to do when you're in the press box um you don't want to be rude and have you know your computer blaring um so you know it's very difficult i I end up putting headphones in but if you do that now you can't set your phone next to the computer and record it so i always have to go into youtube after the fact and and try to pull as many quotes as i can um from you know after they end up posting it what that's done is as i'm on my way back uh from tuscaloosa just doing all that stuff going into listening in youtube's kind of realized hey i listen to a a lot of nick saban related stuff it started suggesting um old you know leadership speeches and stuff that he's given um and, and, you know, I was just, I was, I was planning on listening to music on the way back. I thought about listening to some football, but I was like, you know what? I kind of, I'm feeling some music, but I clicked on that. Just curious, um, just to hear, you know, what old Nick, uh, you know, coach had to say. And I listened to it the whole way back. It took me about an hour and 15 to get home to Birmingham. And I listened to that entire thing. And then I, there was another one, uh, that I clicked on and first of all, fascinating stuff, man. Just oh, absolutely, um, you know, you don't realize just how much he, the man understands people. Um, but uh, because of that, um, you know, it, it, was a, it was a great, you know, thing to listen to. But the problem is, is I was really wanting to be able to watch the end of the Braves game. But, you know, in those videos, Nick Saban talks a lot about discipline and how you got, you got to do what you don't want to do sometimes. Um, you got to force yourself. And so I was having to do a lot of post-game stuff uh, as far as pulling those quotes and, you know, writing some articles and things like that. But the Braves are on, and I was like, man, I just, man, I would love to just take a break for 
30 minutes real quick and, and watch the end of this Braves game. Wasn't able to because I had to be disciplined, you know, like old coach said. Um, <laughs> so I finally got done with my work. I, I ran to the condo across the street that um, my girlfriend, uh, her, you know, some family friends own it. And I got, as soon as I walked in the door, Atlanta had just gotten the final out and everybody was awesome. celebrating. Um, so it was, it was unfortunate. I've granted it, you know, it, it's not as big of a deal to me, but I was definitely wanting to see the end of that game just to experience, you know, um, they were up four, uh, two, the last time I had seen it was in the bottom of the eighth. I didn't think about the fact that, Hey, if they hold them, you know, they, they get three outs, it's game over. Uh, you yeah. don't have to worry about playing the bottom of the ninth. I didn't think about that when I left the press box. Um, I would have just stayed there for the rest of it, but I was like, Oh, I can get back. Um, no problem. It will take me 10 minutes tops. And I missed it, man. So that was a very long-winded way of saying um, not only did I learn a lot, you know, from Nick Saban as far as, you know, the right mentality and the way, the way to approach life, I also got to miss uh, some pretty fun experiences, uh, you know, watching the old Bravos win. That's a full Saturday. That's a full Saturday for you right there. You it got is. The lights, you got 15 straight years over Tennessee. Uh, you got your, your favorite Major League Baseball team clinching and going to the World Series, which begins – Tuesday evening, and uh, yeah, that's a full day right there. It, it was, um, and, and I'm so happy for, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong, I'm going to love watching the Braves in the World Series. I'm going to watch every game, but I don't pretend to be some diehard fan like other people. Um, I get into it, you know, when it's convenient for me. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, but for all of these other people that I follow on Twitter and you and, um, you know, I wish my granddad was still around to, to see it. Um, but he is not, but I mean, just incredible stuff. And, and of course I was alive back when the Braves went to the world series back in the nineties, you know, multiple world series. I never, um, you know, I wasn't into baseball back then. Didn't care a thing for it. I was, I still didn't even really like football much back then. Uh, I just watched Alabama and didn't understand what was going on. I, I mean, very cool that we're at this point where I actually get to pay attention. So I don't know the Houston Astros. I know they've been good. No, they're a bunch of cheaters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no right, that's, that's gonna come up that's gonna come up it'll be mentioned uh yeah. in, in the series against the astros but hey i as a, as a big Braves fan i watch i mean i don't want to exaggerate and, and i'm sure if my wife explained how much i watch she would think i watch more than i do but i would say clint out of 162 games i probably watch nine innings 60 or 70 times and watch five or six innings another 50 or 60 times, I would say there's only 30 or 40 games a year I don't see any of because I'm busy doing something else or something else came up. I, I wish I could say I was the type that watched nine innings for 162 games, and I would. I have enough interest to do that. But I can only watch the full nine innings roughly half the season and then another 40 or 50 times I can watch a few innings. But I'd say this. When, uh, when I wake up in the morning and I was unable to see the night before, uh, it's the very first thing I look at. Phone comes on immediately, brave score, and then I look at the box score, like what happened over nine innings, who pitched, who got the big hits. So I, I know what happened at all 162 games. I, I just might not get to see them all, but, hey, it's tough. You know, you get older and there's a lot of stuff always going on. And as much as I love, love the Braves, I'm always Alabama football first. I mean, I would rather read about or go see Alabama practice than uh than a Braves game because there's 162 of those you know so uh yeah but I'm a huge fan and I've been that way since I was a kid and uh 
yeah, uh, it's been 20, 21 years, 22 years since they've made the World Series. And this was an unexpected season. This isn't an Alabama situation where the season starts and you just expect to be a part of the postseason. Uh, it's not Alabama situation. It's it's different. But uh, this, this year was an unexpected run uh, through the postseason. So that makes it even more fun in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're an Alabama fan, get 15 in a row, you're a Braves fan, first World Series in close to 25 years, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, you know, Auburn didn't play, right? Did Auburn play yesterday? I don't think they did. They didn't play, so we can say Auburn didn't win this weekend. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I was. See, you know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so, didn't get a win, didn't get a loss, but didn't get a win either. So, pretty good weekend if you're an Alabama Braves fan because um, Tennessee also lost. That's the other side of this entire thing. Um that's right. Yeah. So that's what we're here to talk about. We're, you know, a lot of talk on the Braves. I mean, we've spent probably close to 10 minutes now talking about the Bravos. And some people will enjoy that, even though there was zero analysis for at least from my end. You had to hear a story about, you know, my process as far as post game stuff. Don't know how much that interests you. But hopefully, let's talk in a little Alabama, Tennessee and what we thought of the game. Maybe that will uh, give you some interest. So, Jimmy, just right here out of the gate, 52 24. Um, you know, it was close there for a while. Tennessee battled. Right. And I'll give Josh Heupel a lot of credit because from a talent standpoint, doesn't even come close to comparing to Alabama. Even if they would have kept every all of those players who transferred out, still would not have, you know, stacked up against Alabama. But then you can include that on top of it. This was a very uh, decimated roster. Um, it's been gutted in a lot of ways. Um, you got the situation going on with the NCAA and, you know, Jeremy Pruitt, you know, threatening to sue a lot going on and they have played good football this year. They've exceeded expectations. Um, so I have to give them credit for that. Now, granted the over hit Alabama minus 25 that hit. Um, but I, I was a little bit surprised if I'm speaking candidly that both of those things ended up hitting with the way that the game was trending. But what were some of your initial thoughts from the game? Agreed. Uh, I've been impressed with the job Josh Heupel did and continue to do so based on the fact he's so shorthanded, both with the injury and just inheriting the roster he inherited. They had massive transfer portal issues after Jeremy Pruitt left. Uh, You know, so he's not playing with a full deck. Very impressed with him. Also very impressed with Hendon Hooker, who I think sort of single-handedly kept Tennessee in the game for a long time. He's, uh, I, I mean, I'll go even this far with him. I haven't done a full uh, NFL type, you know, Dan Orlovsky analysis, but from seeing him play in person and the highlights that I've seen, if I was an NFL team, that might be my flyer quarterback in the, in the fifth, sixth or seventh round, because he's a winner. I, I mean, I think that dude's a winner. He has NFL traits. He's athletic. He can push the ball down the field. Uh, I, I just think really highly of him. I, I think other than Matt Corral, that's probably the second best quarterback we've seen this season. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good player. Uh, so give credit to him and, and Josh Heupel for, for staying in the game. Uh, I do think this game was a little bit of a microcosm of the season. I think if I described what happened in the Tennessee game, Clint, it would sound a lot like me describing the 2021 season. And by that, I mean Alabama won. Alabama won handily. Uh, It was not something we had to sweat out at the end. And the reason being is because Alabama had a lot more good players than Tennessee has. Uh, Bryce was outstanding from start to finish. Bryce was the reason Alabama won the game easily. 
Bryce is the reason the offense scores so many points. But this is a mistake-prone football team on both sides of the ball. They will make errors that can cost you football games, and one time did. Uh, those errors have yet to be eliminated or cleaned up entirely. Uh, some of the busts on defense that were errors, I think, were caused or triggered by Tennessee's tempo. Uh, and if you're playing a team with tempo and you're error prone on defense, that's not a good mix. And that showed on a handful of snaps. And if Alabama had played a clean football game with very few errors, that score would have been very ugly uh, because Alabama, when they're not uh, making errors, is a really good football team, at least the second best team in the country when they're not making a lot of errors. But there were too many errors to blow Tennessee out completely. Uh, they helped Tennessee hang around. There was really just three pass plays that they made that was responsible for a huge chunk of their offense. But those pass plays happened. You know, I, get, I, I, I say these things, but at the same time, I get frustrated by them. The Well, if you take these three plays out, what does that mean? I mean, you could take some plays out every season and change who won the Super Bowl. I mean, you can't take plays out. They're, they're part of what made up the game. And Tennessee made those plays, even though Alabama contributed to all three. Tennessee made the plays and give them credit. They scored 24 points, which is more points than they normally score against Alabama. Uh, and, and Alabama just didn't play clean. They played great in stretches and great in spurts and at times looked like the dynasty football team they've been. But once again, this team failed to do it for 60 full minutes, made too many errors, and looked mortal. Uh, I didn't come out of this game, Clint, fired up about beating Georgia. I came out of the game worried that we make those same mistakes at Auburn, we could lose again. And that, that, that's my take in terms of, is this team great? They're capable of it. I think they've proved they're capable of, of playing great offensively and defensively. Are they a great team? No, no. Too many, too many errors, too many mistakes. And you made a great tweet last week. I'll, I'll close on this. You made a great tweet about the makeup of the offensive line and about how in 2018 they were all pros. And last year they, were, they looked like they were all NFL players. I'm not sure anyone wants to stand up and wager that all five of these guys are NFL football players. I'm not taking shots at them. Not to say if you're not an NFL player, you're not very good. They're all good, or they wouldn't be starting at Alabama. Even Chris Owens is a good player. But they're not what Alabama normally has. Evan Neal is. But I'm not ready to bet a 1000 bucks that Cohen, Dowcourt, Echior, or Chris Owens will be draftable long-term NFL players. Uh, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm not ready to bet on it. And in previous years, when the offensive line is Neal and Dickerson and Deontay Brown and Alex Leatherwood, you're ready to make that bet. You're ready to make the bet before the season started. And I think that it's that group, the offensive line and the defensive line, which lacks an obvious, I'll say it's a little different on that side of the ball. There's no obvious first day pick over there. Maybe a couple of maybe second day picks. Uh, Alabama's just not as gifted on the line of scrimmage as some previous teams. And I think that's why it's not pretty all the time. First of all, 
um, I, I 100% agree about the trenches. I, I think that that is a huge issue for Alabama, and it's something they need to get fixed. And I don't know what the solution is. Some people have brought up, okay, the offensive line is struggling to protect Bryce Young adequately. You need to start getting some more rhythmic, uh, you know, quick passes um, to get the ball, the, the football out of his hands faster. And I agree with that. I think that that is a way that you can, that is a, you know, solution to a degree. You can't make that your offense, though. Because what you're doing, when you play Georgia and that's your offense, that's what a lot of other people have, have done. You know, Kentucky did that. You know, Auburn tried to do that. They understand that Georgia's defense is so good that they're not going to have time to let things develop downfield and, and take a lot of shots and, and really threaten them vertically. And, and so they condense their own area that they're willing to attack, get the football out of the quarterback's hands, and you're playing right into Georgia's, you know, strength you know because now they don't have to respect the deep ball as much now you take all 11 of those incredible defensive players and you're putting them in a more condensed field it their jobs become a lot easier i think if you're going to beat the georgia styles of defenses you i'm not saying that all your passes need to be long developing route concepts and and it needs you need plenty of time to throw the football on every play i do think they need to be you know have more of a quick game involved in their offense more than we've seen but that can't be your only solution. There are going to be times where you're going to need your five offensive linemen and, and you know, a tight end, or maybe just your five offensive linemen or, or, you know, plus your running backs when they're in pass pro to keep Bryce young protected long enough for him to have big strike plays. And when he got that against Tennessee, you know, you saw Jamison Williams finally get a, a huge play on Saturday. You know, you saw, you know, some explosive plays. We've seen him be just surgical, and efficient on third down is it's actually incredible. When you look at Alabama's third down offense in the last two weeks, uh, 75% conversion rate. And, and last week there was 20 third down attempts, every single third down attempt, except for two. And one of them, Bryce young was not on the field for, but Bryce had the football in his hands, whether he decided to run with it, they were all passes pretty much. There was no design QB runs, but he ran the ball, you know, three or four times in those situations but every single third down was him now a lot of those third down attempts were third and five or more which of course is going to put the football in his hands you're not going to run it in a lot of those situations but the point being the coaching staff trust him he's converting at a high rate but there are going to be times where you're going to need to keep him protected and you're talking about adam anderson and jordan davis and just you know that georgia defensive front the kobe dean imagining Alabama's offensive line going against that front, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a very favorable matchup for Alabama whatsoever. So it's something that Alabama needs to get addressed. Now, defensively, I agree. When you're talking about, you know, taking three plays out, that's something that you can't do. Now, granted, I understand what people are getting at, some people, and, and the point being is, hey, they're, they're a couple of mistakes away from being a very good defense. When you're consistently letting offenses run the ball at will, which Alabama's done this season, when you're letting them, you know, uh, compete and, and consistently move the football, you know, I think that's a much bigger problem than giving up several avoidable plays because you can go in and say, hey, we're close, guys. We just need to be – I think Alabama's defense right now is too complicated. I think they need to simplify things a little bit because, you know, when you're going against tempo like Tennessee was bringing to the table – not only are you as a defensive back or as a you know linebacker in coverage having to worry about where you need to be and what your responsibility is, you're having to do it at a much faster pace than you're used to. And just processing all the information that you have to process and just doing it nonstop because, it, I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I live tweet the, the, the Alabama games 
I was barely getting, you know, I, I wouldn't even be able to get a tweet out before. We're like two plays later. Uh, that's how fast Tennessee was going. I, I figured out very quickly, okay, you got thoughts on pretty much every one of these plays. My fingers don't type this fast. I'm getting behind. I'm starting to lose plays here. Um, and so I just decided, hey, you know, when something big happens, I'll tweet about it. Um, but outside of that, I just I couldn't do it because I couldn't keep up. And and that's, you know, if I'm having trouble sitting up there in the press box in a very comfortable place, I guarantee you, you know, when you're getting tired and you're fatigued and you're running around trying to do 100 things at once like those players are, Going right. against that tempo, you need to simplify things as much as possible to take away the thinking. I think guys are thinking too much, and it's not like these are, you know, we talk about the youth um, on Alabama's team. Defensively, Jordan Battle was a third-year player. DeMarco Hellen was a third-year player. Uh, Daniel Wright, fifth-year player. Josh Joe, um, you know, what is he, a redshirt junior, so fourth year. You know, same right. with Jalen Armour Davis. Uh, Malachi Moore, you know, second-year guy who's who started all of last season, so plenty of experience. This is a very very experienced Alabama secondary, and if they're blowing coverages, to me, I think that that speaks more to the complexity of the defense, and that's something that you know I think Alabama needs to try to simplify. And that's not just a Pete Golding issue. Nick Saban has a say in that, and I think he needs to step up and say, yeah, um, I understand we want to confuse offenses. Um, that's the goal of having a complex. If it's complex for us, it's certainly complex for a quarterback to read or, you know, a running back, you know, who's trying to figure out who he's going to pass protect against, things like that. But it's just, if it's making you not perform at a high level, you need to switch things up a little bit. So that's my thoughts on the defense. And, you know, there's a lot of issues that need to get fixed over the bye week. Well, uh, and I agree with simplifying as it relates to the tempo teams, because yes, I don't think you have a choice. I mean, I don't think you have a choice. And, and your simplification doesn't have to be, okay, hey, what we've been working on since the spring, scrap that. It doesn't have to be like that. You can simplify against tempo teams by just one or two rules. You can just have one or two rules that says, when we don't get the play in and the play's not in and you don't know what to do, then you're in man. You, you should know who you have. And by that meaning, if you're a cor outside corner, you're on the outside receiver. If you're an inside DB, you've got the inside guy. If you're a, if you're a tight end, you got a back or a running back, but at least take one guy out of the equation for them, whoever it is. I mean, you can just do that. And for instance, that would have solved, for instance, the Job play. <laughs> Job didn't have to look at the sideline. He just had his guy in man, and that was that, and that play probably wouldn't have happened. So I think there's some level of simplification you can do against the tempo teams that wouldn't require a, a new playbook that the administrative staff has to stay up copying all night. Um, it, it shouldn't be that that difficult, but you make a great point about the young team thing. It's the offense that's young. The offense can make mistakes that are a little more understandable based on the lack of experience, but the defense is just too old for that. There is no position group at Alabama that that isn't experienced. The corners are experienced, the safeties, the inside linebackers the outside linebackers uh, and the defensive line, that they're all an experienced group. Um, and and if, if we're going to be pick one side of the ball to be upset with, again, to me, it's the defense. The offense did score 52 points. It was the defense that gave up the 24. And when you look at nationally at the, at the rankings now, I might look at it a little differently than others, which is fine. That might be right, y'all wrong, or vice versa. But this is how I look at the defense. In, in terms of simplifying whether they're doing a good job or not is like on the defense, I look at just two stats. To me, they're the, the, 
still with all the analytics out there, to me, the overriding statistics are scoring defense and total defense. How many points are you giving up? How much territory are you giving up in a game? And what I do is I just kind of average them out because I'm not sure one's that much more important than the other because the offense also has a hand in that scoring defense. And uh, and total yards doesn't tell the whole story. You could give up 500 yards and zero points, and I would call that an outstanding game, you know. Conversely, you can give up 100 yards but 40 points because the offense kept turning over the ball in the red zone. Um, So I look at both. And when you average them out, scoring defense and total defense, Alabama's somewhere around ninth or tenth. Well, I think think there's – I mean, I'm sorry, somewhere around 15th. Uh, the offense is ninth or 10th. The defense is somewhere around 15th when you average them out, 15 to 20, somewhere in there. And, and I, well, let's just say that they're 20. This defense shouldn't be the number 20 defense. We shouldn't have the 20th best defense. I'm not arguing we should be better than Georgia. I'm not going to put that on Pete Golding or the defense. I'm not going to say y'all should be better than Georgia or y'all should be top three, but they should be higher than 20. We don't have – we don't have the 20th most talented defense. We probably have the fifth, sixth, or seventh, and I'm being conservative in terms of the talent that we're putting on the field. The defense to me just still isn't performing as well as they should week to week, week to week. The offense does because the offense had a lot of excuses going into the year. All the new guys, the new coordinator, the new quarterback, the new offensive line, Smitty gone, Waddle gone, Najee gone. And look at the offense, second in the nation in scoring offense, second. It has to be about scoring points. I don't know what else we're doing statistically, but it has to be about scoring points. And the offense is second in the nation. So I have really no overarching criticisms of the offense. I mean, there are things that can be fixed and things we need to do better if we want to beat someone like Georgia. But overall, based on what we have and returning experience, I would give the offense an A for the season. And again, and, and again, Tennessee, we scored 52 points. We could sit here and name 10 things they did wrong, but they scored 52 points. You're going to beat anybody in the country if you score 52, and we did. So my issues in terms of the long-term focus or the long-term health of the team or will we win out or can we beat Georgia, to me it's about somehow the defense needs to be better than they are because if, if all we're going to do is be the 20th or the 25th best defense, that's not good enough to make the playoff and win in the playoff, in my opinion. See, I had the same kind of realization with Jalen Hurts back when he was the starting quarterback. You know, I, I felt like he got unfair criticism once Tua got there, um, you know, against Florida State that first season. You know, fans were, were down on him big time because uh, he didn't have a great statistical game. And, you know, I went in and, and broke down the film and, and gave a bunch of reasons why. You know, Jalen Hurts did not play that bad of a football game. You had drops. You had other things that, uh, you know, some big plays that got called back due to penalty. I, you know, I, I went to bat for him. But over the course of the season, what happened is I started, you know, I could go through and look at the film and say, yeah, I mean, I can make a lot of these same arguments that I made in that Florida State game for Jalen in this game as well. Oh, in this game too. The problem is, is once it starts mounting, something's off. And enough, you have enough data at that point to say, whether it's Jalen Hurts' fault or not, or just his style and the way that he plays, uh, it's not meshing well and it's causing other guys to, you know, do certain things and not play up to the same standard. The bottom line is, is something's wrong with this Alabama offense. So something needs to change. 
I'm kind of coming to the same realization with Alabama's defense. And I've been a huge defender of Pete Golding. I think everybody knows that to a point where I've made a lot of Alabama fans unhappy, and I still don't think it's all on him. I think Nick Saban has a bigger hand than people realize. I think the complexity issue of the uh, of the defense it falls as much on Nick Saban as it does Pete Golding. You know, by that point, I don't think it's necessarily something that that Pete Golding is calling. You know, when you have a a, a breakdown in coverage. That is not due to something that Pete Golding did at calling the plays. That's something that happened where they didn't get something fixed in practice. And in practice, right. Nick Saban has every bit as much of a hand in preparing the defense or, you know, close as Pete Golding. So, you know, that's that's where I will continue to defend him. But at the same time, what does Georgia's off, or defense have that Alabama's defense doesn't? Have they recruited better on the defensive side of the football? No. Okay, do they have more experience than Alabama's defense? No, not really. Um, so what it comes down to is it comes down to either evaluation of defensive players and recruiting. It comes down to a lack of development once you get them on, on campus, or it comes down to something schematically that you're doing or not doing that is affecting what you're you know producing on Saturdays. Either way, I've been, I understand, you know, I've, I think at the top of my Twitter page, my pen tweet is Nick Saban talking about elite defenses and how the, the views of them have changed because you know, what we considered elite back in 2011 and 2012 or even 2016, that's not the same elite you're going to get today. And I've, I've, the reason it's pinned is because I was like, I, I completely agree with him. And I do think that if Georgia's defense goes against a truly elite offense, a complete offense, the offense would prevail in that battle. Georgia would get plenty of wins because they're very good defensively. But I think overall, you'd look at that game and you say, Georgia was holding all these offenses to six points a game. They go against, you know, Alabama's offense, and they give up 31 or 35. You know, that, that 2016 Alabama defense was fantastic, very Georgia-esque. What they do against Clemson in the national championship? Deshaun Watson had his way. Um, so I, I just I think that, but at the same time, what Georgia is proving is that you can still be an elite team, do your job against the teams that you're supposed to. Georgia's not played an, uh, an Ole Miss. They haven't played a Mississippi State. They haven't went against an offense that you would say is truly, you know, elite. And I'm not saying Mississippi State is up there, but Ole Miss certainly is. The problem is, is a lot of people are using that and saying, well, Alabama's gone against these very difficult offenses to defend, and that's why. Well, against Mississippi State, they held them to under 300 yards total in the game. Against Ole Miss, they had a, one of their best games of the season against Ole Miss. So they're not bringing those numbers down for Alabama. It's all these other teams that they're playing. Florida, do we consider them an elite offense? You know, do we do we view them as a, as an offense that you know last year? Sure, absolutely. This year they're very limited and they're being exposed everywhere else. Now they were having a lot of success running the football, but it was more you know this isn't and, and we're going to find out how Georgia looks against them. My guess they're going to destroy Florida, uh, the, their offense. I don't think that with the limitations you know passing the football they're going to be able to stop Florida's run game. They're you know quarterback or running backs. And they're going to put the, they're going to, ha they have the style of defense that can force the game onto the shoulders of an Emory Jones or uh, an Anthony Richardson. And I, you know, from a passing standpoint, I don't think either quarterback's going to have a great performance. Um, we'll find out, but that's my views on it. The point being, something has to change. Now, granted, I tweeted out, and I'll stand by this Alabama went undefeated last year with these same kind of issues defensively. And the reason being is because they had an offense that could outscore literally anybody in the country. And the reason that I say that Alabama's biggest focus needs to be fixing the offensive line and making sure that you can get Bryce Young adequately protected, I think from a running standpoint, Alabama is very effective with their running backs. 
I think from a receiving standpoint, the tight ends, you know, this, this game against Tennessee was kind of a get right game. In some ways, I do think Bill O'Brien really tried to get them back involved. You had the drop from Jaleel Billingsley. That was terrible. You know, it, it wasn't like they got tons of targets and, and tons of opportunities, but the first two third downs of the game, third and long, who does Bryce Young go to? He goes to, to Cameron Latou. He goes to Jaleel Billingsley. Um, so I think there was an emphasis on trying to get their minds right. I don't think they were perfect by any means, but I still think they're a threat. I think the receivers are threats. I think if you have a good offensive line, I think this offense is not where it was last year. I'm not saying that, but I think it's close enough where you can win football games, even with your struggles defensively, even with those random, you know, defensive lapses. I think from a consistency standpoint, they're, they're struggling defensively. But if you look at them against the run, if you look at them outside of those big pop plays, they're playing pretty good football. And, and what last year proved was that you can have those issues defensively if you have an offense that can outscore people. And I, I believe in their ability to fix the offensive line more than I believe in their ability to fix the defense, which has been an ongoing issue for three years now, um, right. you know, in the immediate. So that's my thoughts on it and why I say that. But that doesn't mean during the bye week, they oh, don't worry about the defense. It's fine. You need to be doing whatever you can to fix those issues as well. I just think that the offensive line, I, I believe in their ability to get that fixed more right now. And I think that they can still be a good football team and beat really good teams if they can do that against the really good teams. The defense, if this matchup with Georgia ever happens, if that matchup happens, there, there will be a lot of pressure on the defense to me because that's where we can have some wins for sure. I mean, I just have all the respect in the world for, for what Georgia is doing defensively. So that means to have a chance to win the game, our defense has to limit Georgia's offense. Georgia has some weapons on offense, and they're probably a better offense than their critics suggest, but it's not explosive. They are not 2020 Alabama on offense by any stretch of the imagination. A really good defense would give Georgia issues, and we need to get really good on defense because the key to to a win in that game, if it happens, I think, is keeping Georgia to around 20 or 21 points. Uh, if, if, if you let Georgia's offense scores 30, you're just asking too much of our offense. Our offense is not going to create a track meet situation against that Georgia defense. They're just too good. I think if our defense is improved to the point they can hold Georgia to 20, 21 points, then maybe it's a game we could win 24, 27 to 20. I think our offense could, could do that if you give them a realistic uh, or, or, or somewhat realistic goal of scoring in the, in the mid to high 20s, we can win the game. So, you know, our, our defense has to improve to, to hold Georgia to that, that level. But that being said, Clint, all the mistakes this past weekend, again, I, I didn't come out of the Tennessee game going, all right, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're, we're getting close to being ready to play at Georgia. I came out of it worried that we make mistakes like that at Auburn, that, that we may not win that game. We're just still too mistake prone on both sides of the ball. But you made a lot of excellent points about having confidence that the offensive line can be fixed. I, I think, and I'm far from an expert on this particular subject, but it seems to me that we don't handle the blitz well all the time. Sometimes we do. And we can score. And I think Bryce's overall numbers against the Blitz are really good. There's just a lot of ugly in there, too. I mean, all mixed in Bryce's success. It's kind of like, hey, if the other team blitzed us three times in a row, now we're looking at third and 22. 
but then Bryce scores on third and 22 because he's so good. You know, it, it feels like that. There's a lot more negative plays than positive plays, but the positive plays tend to be scores because Bryce does adjust. But I'm not sure the offensive line does. It seems to me that we have too many guys up front blocking the wrong guy uh, in the blitz. And, and, and to be quite honest, if Brian Robinson isn't in the game, the back's not going to give Bryce any help. I mean, we need Brian Robinson in the game to handle blitzes. Uh, I've seen Rodell too many times really struggle with that, which is typical of young backs, particularly ones that are a little smaller, you know, than Brian. But this off week, they're going to practice probably just two or three times. It won't be a full week of practice. They'll have some days off. It'll help the bumps and the bruises. I'm excited about getting Drew Sanders back. I think he was turning into a real playmaker. Uh, no announcement's been made about that. I'll just say it's my understanding that Drew Sanders should be back for the LSU game. I think that's going to help the defense because it's one more playmaker. I do think individuals on the defense are playing better. Christian Harris, better. Henry Toa Toa, better. The defensive line as a whole, better. Uh, the, the corners have been fine all year. I know Job just gave up that 70-yard play, but that was that was a bit of a mix-up. It, it wasn't like Job literally got whipped for a 70-yard touchdown. That was a, a goof. Um, the safeties are still, to me, an issue in terms of I'm not sure we can get a lot better there. I think we kind of are what we are, but maybe schematically that's where Pete and Charles Kelly uh, and those guys can go to work in terms of uh, covering up the, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you got some scars from, from a, from, from a previous fight. You need to kind of cover up with makeup. Maybe, maybe they can, maybe they can do that with the safeties to an extent, sort of protect those guys. Cause I'm not sure we're going to get a ton better there, but, uh, you know, to, to me, it's still about what I said prior to Tennessee, improving. We have to, whether it's true or not, we should look at it this way. We haven't played our best football yet. We're not the team we need to be to beat Georgia. That's going to take improvement by everyone, even Bryce. Everyone has to improve. So we are prepared to play our absolute best game of the year in, in week 13 because that is going to be the biggest game of the year, assuming we get that far and everyone needs to improve before we get to that, that game. That is going to be the first round of the college football playoff, you know, for yep. Alabama, you know, you win, you're in, you don't, you're not. Um, that, that, sure. the, um, and, and so that needs to be the approach. Uh, if you get that far, which I think there's a lot of obstacles standing between that. And, you know, when you look at the teams, um, you know, LSU doesn't seem like a huge threat. Uh, you know, Arkansas doesn't seem like a huge threat at this point with the way they've been playing as of late. Auburn on the road, I think a lot of people do view them as a threat, but I don't think LSU is, you know, significantly worse than Tennessee. You know, I don't mm -hmm. think Arkansas is significantly worse than Tennessee. In fact, I, I would say they're probably, you know, in the same ballpark um, and have some some similarities, maybe not defensively schematically, but just on both sides of the football, you know, if, if you think that Cedric Tillman burning Alabama for 150 plus yards on seven catches and a touchdown. You just wait until you see Traylon Burks, you know, um, <laughs> that guy yeah. might go for 300 if they don't get some things fixed. Um, but the reason that I think I'll, or excuse me, the reason I think Georgia is a better football team and, and would win a game against Alabama right now. And I think, it, you know, I'm not, this isn't some kind of hot take. I think everybody, even of a, a lot of Alabama fans that are being real feel the same way. Here's why. I think that Georgia offensively, a lot of potential, lack consistency, 
and there are exploitable places of their offense. Alabama's offense, a lot better than Georgia's, but there are, and, and I would almost put it in an elite category, but you look and you say there are exploitable places, the offensive line right now. Alabama defensively, good group. There are exploitable places. So three of the four you know, main groups, offense, defense, Georgia's is the one. There's nowhere I'm looking and saying they're exploitable. Can you get wins against certain guys uh, on their defense? Absolutely. Um, I think Alabama will have plenty of wins, but from a, you know, look at it and say, we can attack this guy and have a lot of success offensively. And this is how, this is where we need to build our game plan. I don't know where Alabama's looking as far as that Georgia defense and saying that this is where we're going to get it. I think the front seven or the, the, the defensive front, the linebackers, the secondary, um, especially when you combine the secondary, any sort of deficiencies that they may have, it's hard to tell because the defensive line so dominant and they're putting pressure on quarterbacks. Um, so I don't necessarily see anywhere that's exploitable. And that's why I say that's the one constant that you can say, George is going to be able to rely on that in the football game. And, you know, that gives them a huge advantage, especially when you have an exploitable part of Alabama's offense, there's places that Georgia's defense is going to be, you, you can say going into that game, I know Georgia's defense is going to get a lot of wins versus this Alabama offense for this reason. I can't say the same thing, even though there are limitations to Georgia's offense, the hope is that you'd be, if JT Daniels doesn't play and it's Stetson Bennett, you say, okay, we try to stop the run. We put the game uh, on Stetson Bennett's shoulders. We keep him from scrambling and try to make him win from the pocket. Problem is, can you stop the run? You know, can right. you do that to Georgia's offense? Um, I'm not sure that you can. Can you keep Stetson Bennett in the pocket and keep him from making plays with his legs? You haven't been able to against Emory Jones. Uh, you weren't able to against, you know, Southern Miss's quarterback uh, consistently. Um, you know, I'm just saying the point being, I think that Georgia's a, they've got the one constant right now between the two teams. Now, Alabama can get some things fixed. And that's why I think the offense needs to be, you know, a point of, of, of emphasis because I think that's where you can get, I think you can truly become an elite offense if you fix the offensive line. Because if you look, do you think Alabama's running backs threaten defenses? Absolutely. Do you think the receivers threaten defenses? Absolutely. With the way John Mechie is playing, I mean, and, Give him a lot of credit. The last two weeks, 18 catches for 238 yards and three touchdowns. You know, and considering the first six games, he's become that number one receiver that Alabama needs. He's consistently creating, you know, separation or, you know, he's making contested catches. He's doing the things that he needs to do. And then you got Jamison Williams, who did not play his best game against Tennessee. He, you know, I, early on the game plan to me, which I thought was a little bit surprising. I thought it was to, you know, get Jamison Williams the football. Some drops, the fumble. I think they pivoted and said, okay, let's go to Mechie. And Mechie responded in a very positive way. And then Jamison Williams ended up having, you know, 100-plus yards and, and was right there with him statistically. And then also had the big pop play for a touchdown, which I wasn't expecting against Tennessee's defense either. So he had a good game. But, you know, Alabama's receivers, they threatened defenses. The tight ends, even though they've struggled, they threaten defenses. The only thing offensively that is a concern is the offensive line. The problem is, is the offensive line controls everything. If you're going to have running room, you need your offensive line to create it. If you're going to have time to throw the football, you need your offensive line to create it. So you need to get that fixed. And I'm hoping that Alabama does that. Now, talk a little bit about Bryce Young and his performance. You, know, you spoke about him playing well. You're absolutely right. Um, thought that he was... Very consistent. His ability, you know, his, his willingness to use his legs is going to be a huge problem for opposing defenses moving forward. Uh, that's been made abundantly clear over the last two weeks. I mean, 
defenses are starting to respect it more, but you I, you just you can't stop it. And now the problem is he shows such an ability to escape and keep his eyes downfield and make big plays. But then now he's willing to escape and run the football. So when things break down and you see Bryce Young at his best, now as a defender, you, you don't know what she's going to do. And that puts way more pressure on you. Um, so I think that he's he's playing some of his best football right now. I think things are starting to click. And, you know, I, I think that Alabama's got a real playmaker at the quarterback position. Yeah, you know, last year, it's the opposite of last year when Alabama was a lead on, on offense. Critics or some people – thought that Mac Jones was simply a product of what was around him. Uh, Najee and, and, and Brian at running back and the receivers and that incredible offensive line. And, and, and some critics would say, Mac Jones isn't good. Alabama's offense is great. And, and Mac just simply uh, gets balls to great players and, and, he, and he plays behind this elite offensive line and and Mac Jones isn't great. Well, for one thing, Mac's proven all those people wrong by what he's doing with the Patriots. But, but my point about Bryce is this. The reason Alabama is number two in the nation in scoring offense is Bryce. It is Bryce. Last year, you could say it was it was Mac is really good, but but the surrounding skill talent, that offensive line is so good. How could he, how could he, you know, even if Mac wasn't good, the offense would still be productive. That's true. But this year, it is like a hundred percent the quarterback. It's all him. Uh, yes, Mechie has some gifts. J-Mo can really run. Brian's having a good year. Uh, the offensive line isn't up to our standards, but it's also not terrible compared to the other 13 offensive lines in the league. Uh, it's Bryce. Uh, he, he is way more responsible for our offensive success uh, than Mac was a year ago. So how he's doing it all as such a young player without experience is amazing. As far as using his feet and legs, it still makes me nervous. I'm sure it makes the coaches nervous. Uh, I'm not – I think he's getting a better feel for when he should run, and he's certainly more aggressive about it than he was early in the season. But I'll just say, you know, I, I've yet to truly uh, rant with a bunch of four-letter words on this show, but when Bryce does it and gets hurt and lost for the year, you're going to hear all sorts of, of F-bombs and everything else on this show. Hide the women and kids for that show. When Bryce gets hurt doing it, particularly if he gets hurt doing it against LSU or against New Mexico State or against Arkansas, uh, where I think Alabama is very likely to win those games by 20-plus points uh, with zero rushes from Bryce. Uh, it's just not necessary, most likely, for him to ever run against those teams yet I'm sure he will and trying to keep a rhythm going on offense and I'm not saying he should never run I think he should smartly pick his spots and it's a lot easier to be smart from it up in the stands than on the field where the real bullets are flying but by that I mean hey Bryce when you can pick up eight or ten yards and get on the ground or you can pick up eight or ten yards and get out of bounds or if you can get in the end zone uh, without getting hit before you get to the end zone then do it. Do it. Take take what they're giving you with your amazing feet. But it will just take one hit. And then we're starting the Auburn game with Paul Tyson. And, and Well, I'm sure there's Alabama fans out there that believe Alabama will win no matter who the quarterback is. I don't believe Nick Saban believes that. I don't think Bill O'Brien believes that. Uh, and, and again, I'm not taking a shot at Paul. You just don't want a guy who's never played in his life even though he's been there for two or three years, you don't want him starting at Auburn. Um, well, you, know, you don't starting against Georgia. 
speaking to that point and, and some a point that I was about to make with Mac Jones, my question to you, if you hadn't, I, this might sound bad, but was it smart for Mac Jones to leave? And, and the reason that I say that, I mean, obviously he's in the NFL and he's doing good things. He was a first round pick. Obviously it was a, a, a good decision to leave. But behind this offensive line, if he didn't have Bryce Young's escapability, do we right. think that he would have, or and he didn't have all those playmakers? It, regard, I, we both can agree that he is a great quarterback, and he would have been a good quarterback for Alabama this season had he chose to return. But I don't think he's having, even, uh, you know, nearly the same amount of success because last year, what helped him is he had playmakers. He had a running back that could make plays, you know, running the football out of the backfield. You know, had had you know, receivers, great receivers, whatever, but it was the offensive line being able to keep him protected because he's a guy who does his best work from the pocket. And he's not, you know, I think he's a little bit more mobile than people give him credit for, but he's getting sacked a ton behind this offensive line. And he's getting hit a lot more than Bryce is behind this offensive line. With your point with with Paul Tyson, it's the same thing. He's the same stationary type of quarterback. So if you ended up, you know, getting Bryce Young hurt, and you've got to turn to Paul Tyson, that, that kid's going to get killed behind this offensive line until they get it fixed. Um, and, and, and I understand that's a pretty heavy criticism of the offensive line, but I think we can all agree that it's true. Um, and, and I mean, 100% true. That yeah. if, you, if you switch seasons, if Bryce was the quarterback last year, do they have the same amount of success? Probably not because Mac was so good at the deep ball. That was his best throw. And that offensive line gave gave you a ton of deep ball opportunities. People look at the wide receiver core and Devontae and Waddle or whoever, but no, no, it's the offensive line has to set up those deep ball opportunities by giving the quarterback time. Uh, you would have sort of eliminated uh, that play uh, with with Mac playing behind this offensive line. His deep ball is basically out. Uh, it's just all the quick stuff. And, and, and now now you you've so no Mac playing behind this offensive line. I mean, it wouldn't be terrible. We wouldn't be 13th in the league ahead of just Vanderbilt on offense. It wouldn't be like that. But, no, that offensive line, the combination of the offensive line plus Mac was awesome. Mac playing on this offensive line would not be pretty all the time. And, and Bryce last year, uh, Bryce's deep ball isn't as good as Mac's. He, he probably isn't quite ready to uh, – be the maestro of the of the symphony like Mac was so ready to do that. And uh, I, I just think we got fortunate. Uh, Mac playing behind that offensive line, perfect. Bryce playing behind this offensive line, hey, we can still make it work because of Bryce's mobility right. and still make it work. And, and, and that's why uh, we got fortunate in, in that regard. But uh, Bryce is – deserving so far of, of, of either the Heisman trophy or, or, or being a finalist. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, he's being handed a heck of an opportunity. I, it, it, it's not going to be fair that he'll be judged by that Georgia game playing against one of the truly elite defenses of modern sec history, but it's also a hell of an opportunity because what people will say on the lead up to the Georgia game is Georgia's just too good on defense. I don't care how good Bryce is. That Georgia defense is too good. If Alabama wins behind a stupendous performance from Bryce against that Georgia defense, uh, you don't have to wait for the following Saturday. You can just mail that trophy to him on Monday. 100%. And, and it's something that Bryce Young is going to have to deal with. That's in his path um, more than likely compared to any other Heisman Trophy candidate. You know, even when you, when you go from the number one defense in the country in Georgia to the number two, 
I don't care if there's a Heisman candidate that had to play the number two defense. It's not Georgia. It's not even close to Georgia. And so if Matt Corral, somehow Ole Miss ends up getting into the college football playoff or excuse me, the, the SEC championship because Alabama drops another game at that point, um, you know, it would be Matt Corral that would have that pressure on him. So that's why I say it's not a guarantee. But as long as Alabama goes to the SEC championship, Bryce has the by far and away the biggest obstacle standing in his way. You know, there will be other Heisman candidates and they'll say, oh, man, they played against the number three defense in the country. And, you know, he ran for, you know, 167 yards or he threw for 334 yards or whatever it is. The bottom line is I don't care. Uh, Good defense. That's great guarantee you that guy's not throwing for 334 yards against Georgia. I guarantee you that guy's not running for 167 yards against Georgia. Um, so that, and that's unfortunate, but it also presents an opportunity and that's what Nick Saban's all about. You know, that even when people think that you don't are not expected to have a lot of success, um, that is an opportunity for you to, to achieve something that nobody thought was possible. Uh, and so, and I think that Bryce can have success against Georgia's defense. I'm just saying that, you know, I would not be surprised if it was Alabama was very smart in how they used him in that game. I like the way that they're using him as far as or the way that they're allowing him to run. And I say allowing. I'm not saying that the coaching staff necessarily put a put a you know cap on that or anything like that. But I, I like the way that he's transitioning. I don't like him being used, you know, carrying the football nine, ten times, eleven times, twelve times in a football game. Right. You know, I don't think there were times where Trevor Lawrence would have to take over and he he'd have to run the football 15, 20 times in a game. That just happens with certain guys. With Bryce, I, I like the three to five, you know, six carries that are all really scrambles. You don't have any design quarterback runs necessarily. Have, uh, I think that's what's telling. I hate to interrupt, but that that is what's telling right there in terms of like, does the staff like Bryce running around? Well, he's athletic as hell, and there has not been one designed run for Bryce in eight games, not one quarterback draw, not one quarterback sweep. Now there's been some RPOs where maybe he has an option of keeping it perhaps, but I think that is the coaching staff telling the world and Alabama fans, we do not want our quarterback taking hits. And I feel for Bryce because I worry, this is a half joke and half serious. I worry that what Bryce hears on the film breakdown with Bill on Sunday mornings is don't run, don't run, never run, never take hits, don't run. Well, you should have run there. Now there you should have run. And it creates this level of confusion that I think it's taken for eight games with him. And that's understandable if that's what he's hearing. And I'm half joking, but I'm half serious. I think that's what he hears. Don't, don't take unnecessary hits. Don't, we don't want you running the football. We're not calling design runs. We don't want you to run. And then they watch the tape and Bill O'Brien's like, why the hell didn't you run right there? You had 12 yards and you could have gotten out of bounds. And I think you end up with Bryce sort of, you know, chasing his own tail, you know, about when do I run? Because you told me not to, and now you told me to. Um, and, and I think in the end, said when you can get out of bounds, go. When you can get to the ground, go. When you get in the end zone, go. But do not take an unnecessary hit. Again, I bought up five times, but it's worth bringing up a sixth time. When Tua – suffered that traumatic injury at Mississippi State. That was so unnecessary. And by that, I mean, the game was over. The game was won. <laughs> we were going to win the game. I don't think, I'm not even sure Mississippi State scored in that game. Uh, you know, we, we won easily and we would have won with the number two quarterback. And, and, you know, ends up being Mac Jones. We would have won the whole game had Mac played for 60 minutes against Mississippi State. In that sense, 
it was just so unnecessary. And, and I think that's the key phrase that they use, no unnecessary hits. And the fact of the matter is, there's almost no such thing as a necessary hit against Mississippi State. Now, sometimes from the pocket behind that offensive line, you're going to get hit. They know it's football. Bryce is going to get hit. But why get hit voluntarily? And and I think that's that's what they're looking for at Bryce. Don't voluntarily get hit. That is 100% in my – because we've – I mean, it, that offensive line is proven. you know. And one thing that I'll, I'll say, and I said it on Twitter as well, to his credit – and this is some of the silver lining stuff coming out of the the poor offensive line play at times this season is that Bryce Young has held up extremely well taking some of those hits. Uh, yep. You have I haven't even I, I think there was one time where maybe he got up a little slow this season, and I think it was a couple of games ago. Maybe uh, I, point being there, I think there was maybe one time that I can think of. Other than that, he's gotten hit and he's immediately gotten up and he seemed fine. He didn't seem, you know, shook up or anything like that. But at the same time, he, he's already taking those hits and you're trying to avoid those. But so far, they've been unavoidable. Why would you, you know, put him in a position where he's taking even more hits that you're, that you're asking him to take? I like the three to five carries a game when you see it, you take off and you go make something happen. And, and I think we all can agree that if his body held up, he could run the football 15, 20 times a game and be incredible. He's a, he's a fantastic runner. I just like the fact that they're putting it on tape and making defenses respected. I think that's enough. And if you look at what he's done in the last two weeks from a passing perspective, I think defense is having to learn to respect his legs more than maybe they were. They're learning. It's, it's opening up more opportunities for him in the passing game, and it's making his job a lot easier in the passing game as well. And, um, you know, with as far as a pass rush, that's one of the big things that has plagued Alabama is they've got to get some pretty good dual threat quarterbacks and Alabama's defense is all about when you have those guys, you can't create rushing lanes by being too aggressive with your pass rush. Having Bryce Young back there being such a threat to be able to step up in the pocket, you know, find a lane that, that a def- defensive lineman has created by getting too far upfield, trying to rush the pass or whatever, that is going to help him and provide him more time in the passing game because they can't be as aggressive, you know, pinning their ears back and having them just get after the quarterback. Um, I think that's enough. I think him using those three to five carries and picking up some key, you know, first downs on on third down situations and, you know, rushing for a touchdown and, you know, because when you're jam-packed in there near the goal line, having the threat of the quarterback running the football makes things easier because it's just something else that the defense has to account for. And so, you know, I, I like what they're doing with him. I like what he's done the last two weeks. Um, I don't think there should be designed quarterback runs. I don't think they should be saying, hey, you know what? This defense is going to present a lot of opportunities to run. Let's, let's, let's you know, do what you need to do and, and get up there in the double-digit carries. We, we really think that's going to help us win this football game. I don't. I think that the best thing you can do is just simply say, take it when it's there, but make sure it's there. He's taking some hits as far as, you know, when he's scrambled. Um, but I think that's the way to go about it. Now, I guess that's pretty much got everything that I wanted to cover. Now, granted, there's going to be, you know, the uh, Jaya Hall situation, Javon Baker being back. Got a question about that from the mailbag tomorrow. So not going to talk about that extensively. LeBron Ray did get the start over Dallas Turner for the second week uh, in a row. Dallas Turner was about to start, it looked like, and then based off of the offensive formation from Tennessee, yeah, they they decided to to send LeBron Ray out there at the last second, and that's just how things work. You know, Dallas – 
Dallas Turner was more active in this game than he has been in previous games, even though he's playing fewer snaps than he did initially. He was uh, very effective. I think they found a way for that to work, but I expect, maybe I'm wrong, we'll see. Even though we've played more three defensive linemen sets, I think when Drew Sanders comes back, we're right back to nickel rabbits. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to take Drew off the field. I, I think Drew will be out there uh, almost as many snaps as Will Anderson. Completely agree. Um, and then the, the last two things that we're going to talk more about the run game tomorrow, uh, or the run defense, I guess you'd say, because that was very effective against Tennessee. I got a question about that as well. And we'll compare that to the passing defense and, and kind of where they're at, because what we've, we've criticized the defense, but you got to give them credit for that. You know, the number five rushing offense in the country, averaging almost 250 yards a game. I think the net you know, if you take away, you know, the, the the sack adjusted yards, rushing yards, I think 74 is what the, is what Tennessee had. So not even a third of what they had been getting in weeks past. So eight, them- and ten, eight and 10 or better. Uh, they've taken a lot of criticism this year. And I'm not saying the early season criticism wasn't deserved or that, that people were just being too hard on them. But also think you got to point out when, when they're better. And I, I think eight and 10, uh, I'm not saying they're solely responsible for that because I think that three-man defensive front is what's made us better against the run, playing more big guys up front. But but eight and ten uh, sort of spearhead the run defense, and, and I think they're both better. And what's funny about that is, you know, we talk about uh, how much how difficult things can be on Henry Toa Toa. Uh, there was one particular play uh, that I remember where the defensive line shifted at the last second, and Henry Toa Toa did not like it you know, based off of what he was seeing and, and he was trying to get them to shift back, you know, he was stepping up and trying to slap one of them on the butt and, and let him know to, to get back over. It might've been just one defend, uh, defensive line. It might've been up in the whole unit, but he was up there trying to get him to, to uh, slide back over when the ball was snapped. And, and then he, he was left kind of scrambling. Those are the kind of things that he has to deal with. And, you know, I think, you know, Pete Golding has talked about how, he needs to make sure that he's doing his job and maybe not having to worry about, you know, pre-snap communication and stuff. If a guy's not lined up correctly, though, you're going to try to get that fixed. But people need to understand having that responsibility that puts more strain on him and what, you know, he, he it makes his job harder when he's having to do that. And the snap of the ball, now he's left kind of scrambling a little bit. And if he, you know, if, if, if the play would have been coming at him, he may have not made the play. And everybody would have said, you know, why'd you miss that tackle? Or why, why weren't you in the right gap or whatever? And it's like, yeah, I mean, he needs to still make the play. It's not an excuse. It's just saying there's there's more to it than people realize. So I do think that they're both playing pretty well. Both the off-ball linebackers are playing better. They're not playing like first-round picks, in my opinion, um, still, but they're playing better, and, and so that's all you can really ask. And then the last thing that we're going to talk about on today's episode is giving people credit. Uh, Nick Saban has asked for for the crowd to be a factor in these football games. They were a factor against Ole Miss. Um, he was proud of that. But against Tennessee, uh, I'm sitting in the press box. We got these little windows at the top that we can open up, and it helps, you know, uh, give us a little feel for the crowd. But, you know, I could tell just by the false starts from Tennessee that they were having difficulty, including back-to-back false starts. And and Nick Saban, you know, I was down on the field. He had already went kind of into the tunnel after the game, after he had shook hands and done all that. Then all of a sudden, I see him jogging back across the field, and I was like, "Where's he going?" And I, I thought I was confused, and he was going back to his locker room. And I was like, "No, I'm, I was." He was coming from the locker room. He goes over there and he shows, you know, he claps and he praises the student section for for their energy and enthusiasm throughout the game. And I give him a lot of credit because 
he asked that of them and now he's paying them respect for delivering. And so I give, you know, him credit for being able to appreciate, you know, if you're going to ask, appreciate, and I'll give him credit for that. And I'll give the crowd credit because it wasn't just the student section. They were probably the loudest, the most consistently, but the entire stadium from what I've been told uh, was rocking. And so give them a lot of credit for them bringing and doing their part because that does help Alabama win football games. When you have that home field advantage, you know, that, that crucial false start or that delay of game where guys can't get, you know, communicate effectively, that will help you win football games. And so somebody on Twitter was complaining that people were lighting up cigars that didn't even play. And, you know, you had no impact on the game. They absolutely, first of all, that that's, that's dumb to get upset about in the first place. But second of all, they did have an impact. The, if, you, if you lit up a cigar and brought any stadium on Saturday night, you had a, 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 a part in that victory and you deserve to smoke it. You know, maybe not as much as the players, but close. Uh, I'm just a different fan than that guy. I mean, that's why I started the show saying, Hey, I, I, uh, when, when, when the Braves are dumping champagne on each other's head, I, I'm popping open a court too. Not because <laughs> I, not because I beat the Dodgers, they did it. <laughs> but if we can't celebrate when our team wins, then why the hell are we watching? I mean, it's just part of celebrating your team's win. And there's a unique tradition with beating Tennessee. And uh, I thought the students were great. They, uh, they booed the hell out of the homecoming queen. So <laughs> I see, I wasn't paying attention uh, much during that. Um, I was, I was working, but I, I, I got on Twitter and I was like, Oh, wow. Um, which, you know, I was like, that's a little, it's not her fault. Um, they shouldn't have booed. Uh, I think her name's McLean. <coughs> no, yeah. they, they, they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have booed her. I was against that while at the same time I was, of course, because I'm a sports fan uh, and I know nothing about the the candidacies of any of them other than of course I wanted Montana to win because I'm a sports fan and I'm a big Montana Fouts fan like every Alabama sports fan is uh, I wanted Montana to win and and uh, you know there's a, but hey over thirteen thousand Alabama students voted uh, for homecoming queen and and while obviously it didn't go the way a, a, a lot of people wanted it to go uh, I think it's really cool that 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 many students voted. I mean, that's, that's roughly half of the full-time uh, students, you know, on campus voting. And I bet there's been homecoming races in the past where 1500 people voted, uh, but, but no, uh, cool that, that that many people cared and went out for Montana and McLean, who I'm sure got, you know, a huge chunk of the votes. And uh, I wasn't making too big a deal over it, but no, I wanted Montana. I would never boo uh, the, the girl that won. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I read a little bit about her. She's extremely smart and uh, and very charitable with her time as well. So, uh, so she she was she was deserving in her way. She was, yeah. And, and I mean, I understand people's frustration, but it, I don't think it was her fault whatsoever. And and her parents, you know, it's supposed to be a proud moment. Her her daughter, their daughter, just won homecoming queen, and she's getting booed by the fans. I just. <laughs> That would, as a parent, and I've, I'm not a parent, so I don't know. You know, there's a lot that I wouldn't understand, but I would guess that'd be kind of brutal. Um, which I mean, I, I guess they probably expected it because you know they knew that Montana, you know, was so popular, and there, a lot of people wanted her to win, and people weren't happy that she didn't win. So maybe they expected it, but it was unfortunate nonetheless. Hopefully, the governor stepped up. Hopefully, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. I have a lot of confidence in her, but hopefully, the governor stepped up, who was standing right next to her, and said, "Don't worry, they're booing me, and I'm used to it." You know, that, that's what that's what the adult in the room next to her should have said. They're booing me, not you. And yeah, that, that's that's actually a great that's what, point. That's what should have happened. Yeah, um, yeah it, it just uh, it was a fun game. Um, and, and 
it was great to see Nick Saban after the game. I think he's learning to appreciate and, and live in the moment a little bit more. Personalities are different now. Um, you know, before they could be up 47 points and he's screaming at guys and, you know, and getting onto him and criticizing him. And he still can get, he can still do those things. But I think he's starting to understand kids nowadays, teenagers, young adults nowadays have different mentalities because of the way that they're raised than even 10 years ago. And so, you know, it, it can't always be about putting guys down. It's appreciating and pointing out the things that, the, that they do well. And I think Nick Saban reflected that when in the postgame uh, interview on the field, he was saying, hey, there's a lot of things that we got to get corrected, but we just, you know, our fans are happy that we just beat Tennessee. We're happy that we beat, just beat Tennessee. And there's, there's a, a time to, to start getting those things corrected, but we need to celebrate this win right now. I thought that was big. It got pointed out by a lot of people, um, and, and it's true. It's something different. And, you know, um, I think that that was kind of a nod to his team to say, I need to show these guys appreciation because they found out, found a way to win and they found a way to win big. Um, and so, you know, we'll get the things corrected that we need to, but they need positive reinforcement as much as, uh, they need criticism, criticism when it's warranted. It's just a different approach nowadays. So Jimmy, we're, uh, we're going to have a meal back tomorrow. Uh, as long as you're free, I have not asked yet. Of course, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, I get, I'm getting to where I assume, and I shouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we already got several great questions uh, that I'm looking forward to answering. Um, and I'm sure that we'll get more because I'll put it out there that we're, we're looking for some more. Um, and the fans do a great job of, of hitting us up. And we'll get those things answered. And so that's going to be fun. This has been fun. We'll talk more about Tennessee tomorrow. And then, you know, later on in the week, we're not going to have a game preview to look at. But we'll kind of break down some things we're looking for to see them improve, you know, during the bye week and you know, got maybe guys that we would like to see more of after the bar, you know, guys that, you know, need to improve. Um, you know, we just, uh, we can look at it a lot of different ways, but it's going to kind of be a bye week style of episode and that's going to be fun as well. So definitely be on the lookout for that. And, uh, Jimmy, I appreciate you joining me today, man. Hey, we're all tied. Looking forward to the mailbag tomorrow and answering questions and excited about, you know, LSU is a big game. I, I know they're struggling. I know they have a lame duck coach, but, uh, when you look down on the field and you see Alabama's crimson helmets and LSU's purple and gold helmets, that's big and uh, cool that we have a now a 12-day buildup to it. Hey, last year was a great revenge game for Alabama based off of what happened in 2019, but the, the way that they acted after that game, maybe they deserve a couple of year beat down. You know, just, First just time back in the stadium since Orgeron's F Alabama speech, uh, and I'm guessing – uh, our players are going to see that on an uh, endless loop in the uh, in the weight room. So, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah, it definitely will be fun. Um, but, yeah, appreciate you hopping on here with me. Appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, if you haven't already, go subscribe to the Bam on Three Show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You know, however you listen, make sure to subscribe and, and put notifications on too, because we got a lot of good content coming y'all's way. And then also, go sign up for uh, on Three Plus. It's only ten dollars for the entire first year. Uh, we got great things going on. Shannon Terry, uh, you know, the CEO, he ended up releasing some information on the the new player database, the recruiting database that's going to be coming and releasing at the end of this month here in just a few days. And it's going to be amazing. It's not going to be complete. There are going to be some added features coming a little bit later, I think, based off of my understanding. But I just, I mean, just seeing the picture that Shannon shared on Twitter, uh, just incredible, man. Um, I, I cannot wait. I know fans are going to love it. 
And, you know, it's not just for the fans. It's for, you know, coaches can utilize it. Media can utilize it and provide a lot of useful tools. Fans, um, you know, a lot of different avenues as far as the people that it can help. Um, and so that'll be fun to, to watch as that gets rolled out. But you need to be hopping on the on three train right now while you still can. Uh, the deal's still going on, and it's a heck of a deal. Take advantage. $10 for the entire first year, like I said, and go sign up for on three plus. We'll be back again tomorrow. We appreciate you guys tuning in. This has been the Bama On3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.